Hello, everybody. This is Brian Smith with 321 Gang. Welcome to our technology podcast, Change the Conversation. I'm happy to uh, have with us today Dr. Bruce Douglas. Uh, Bruce it was trained as a neuroscientist. I'm going to cheat and look at some notes here. Developing complex real-time and embedded software systems, and uh, in mostly in the aerospace, defense, medical, telecom, and some various other industries as well. Uh, Bruce, and uh, regarded as one of the leading experts in UML and uh, SysML. Uh, he is an author of many books, white papers, UML and SysML standard, the list goes on, the Harmony process. Uh, Bruce, uh, you uh, you don't sit still very well, I, I can imagine. You've, you've done quite a bit in your lifetime. Yeah, I manage to keep busy, that's true. <laughs> well, um, we've invited you here today to talk about one of your latest, um, one of your latest uh, works of uh, nonfiction, <laughs> called the Harmony Agile Model-Based Systems Engineering Desk Book. Now that rolls right off the tongue. I can tell you got a lot of marketing uh, behind that that title. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, so we're really ha happy to have you here today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I've been involved in the industry for a long time, and uh, I've developed some opinions about what works well, what doesn't work well, based on that experience. And I and I, I'm happy to share. I think it was about 15 years ago when I first uh, heard you speak about some of these topics, and I think even before Agile was um, considered more mainstream and being introduced into software, and now it's being introduced into systems, um, you were already, as far as I remember, talking about these kinds of topics. So I'm really uh, excited to have you here on the program, and uh, and having read through your uh, desk book, as you call it. Uh, I was really uh, happy to see a lot of those elements come together, taking the Harmony stuff that you've been evangelizing for some years now, combining it with a lot of the Lean Agile stuff in a more formal way. Right. So, so I, I'm the author of kind of two independent but related processes, the Harmony process for embedded software development, mm -hmm. uh, where I focus on, uh, mostly again, I focus on model-based and safety-critical, high-reliability, security-critical systems mm -hmm. and software development for that. And it's a lot different than kind of standard Agile because standard Agile literature doesn't talk about safety, reliability, security, uh, really performance, right? They don't really give you guidance on how to do traceability, how to achieve you know, compliance to standards and so on. Or the artifacts so, that are required to go with that, regardless oh, of, of what they say, lack of documentation and things like that, which is all fair and well, but some of these systems, uh, you just can't get away with not creating some kind of artifacts in those domains. That's correct. And the second uh, process is then uh, Agile for Systems Engineering, which is kind of the kind of the other half of my life is embedded software development and also the Systems Engineering Department. And that's even more reserved because if you look at kind of some of the fundamental ideas behind Agile is, well, don't defer verification of your engineering data, right? Well, software is pretty straightforward because software runs. That's what it does. But in system engineering, traditional products are text-based, you know, Excel spreadsheets, uh, uh, Word documents, and so on. So what does it mean to verify those? What does it mean to continuously do verification? Mm 
uh, and so that needs to be talked about. And, and there's doesn't really it's not really addressed in the agile literature. So uh, the book um, Agile System Engineering and the desk book really kind of try to address what does it mean? How do you do it in a practical way mm -hmm. uh, for systems That's engineering? And that's where your modeling expertise comes in because you can't really do it in a text-based manner, right? You can't you can't look at a doc, this document as a humans and then look at this one and 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 see the differences or run them, so to speak, and and see what's not working, perhaps. Yeah. So, so I sent you a slide deck and with some slides on this and mm -hmm. and uh, slide seven uh, it talks about kind of two kinds of verification and what validation is. So I, I identify that there's a thing called syntactic verification. It's well-formed. It's said well. The verb's in the right place. You know, the period's in the right place. Use commas where necessary. Uh, it's about organization of the work products, content of the work products. It's about how it's said and its completeness criteria rather than whether what you said actually makes sense. Sure. When you talk about what it makes, whether or not it makes sense, that's what I call semantic verification. Okay. And there are basically three ways to do semantic verification. One way is you look at it, reviews, right. inspections, right? And if all you have is text, that's all you can do. And so, well, I think that's a good idea. You should look at what you do to make sure you haven't said anything stupid, right? Well, but it's still not that good, right? <laughs> insufficient, right, right. And so the next step up is to do testing, where right. you have some sort of known set of inputs done with some particular values and some sequence and timing with some known expected outcome, right? But to do that, you have to cast that engineering data in a way that actually runs, a kind of computational model that actually executes, uh, which means you can't do that with text, but you can do it with, with models, well-formed models. Well and the last models. method, of course, is formal methods where you do like formal proofs, formal mathematical analysis. And again, that requires very precise statements uh, mm -hmm. that cannot be misinterpreted that are really basically mathematically reproducible. Okay. Right. So, so you know, let's go through a timeline here. I, I wrote a couple things down here. I mean, interspersed in, in this conversation is, is are elements of the UML, uh, real-time UML uh, uh, models uh, with tools like Rhapsody. Now, obviously, it doesn't have to be Rhapsody, but I know that your background is with Rhapsody. Uh, SysML, and then at Agility for real-time engineers, and Harmony in its you know original form back in what the iLogix days, right? Right. Yeah. And, and then and then its evolution over the last what 15, 20 years into the Agile model-based Agile no Harmony. Agile model-based systems engineering process. So, so uh, taking that into into account, what what, how do those elements come together in in the 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 agile MBSE process? Well, okay. So if you talk to a computer scientist, they would consider me a practitioner. If you talk okay. to practitioners, they consider me a theorist, right? So. To my way of thinking, theory is something to help you do practical things. And if it doesn't help you do practical things, it's not a very interesting theory, right? So I'm kind of where the, those, those two disciplines come together, right, overlap. And so my background is I've, I've been building safety-critical embedded systems for decades. Cardiac pacemakers. I, I was the first, first multitasking real-time operating system for a cardiac pacemaker, right? Wow. 
to do that, I had to write a compiler for the <laughs> for the embedded platform. And to do that, yeah. I had to write an assembler to write the compiler, right? So I had to build all my <laughs> own tool sets. Uh, and it's all had to run in uh, 16 kilobytes right. on a processor running at uh, 32 uh, uh, cycles per, uh, per 32,000 cycles per second, right? Mm -hmm. So kilohertz, 32 kilohertz. Um, and so I come from that world where stuff is hard. <laughs> you know, we debug stuff with the alligator clips and oscilloscopes. Um, <laughs> And that's not so true today, right? So we, we've evolved over time. We have we do have more memory, still constrained, but we have more memory, more resources. Uh, but now we're expected to do a lot more stuff, and so now we've got to manage a lot of more complexity. So my focus has always been: I need to be able to build complex but completely reliable, safe systems. Right. Right. And so to do that, I look and say, what, what tools do I need to bring stuff together to allow multiple engineers to work together to decide what work products, what engineering data we need to have to make sure that what I do doesn't kill people, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and absolutely. so that's kind of my focus. And so if I, if I tend to err, I think I, I tend to err on the side of my stuff always works, okay? Uh, and I'm willing to spend the effort, extra effort and time to make sure that's true. I don't let I don't let my cardiac patients debug my pacemakers. Yeah, that would be bad. That would that's be bad. bad. For right? Yeah. I don't let my pilots I don't let my pilots debug my aircraft. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you know I bad. hate it when you're on a plane and uh, the pilot comes on and says, "Oh my God, is there a programmer on board?" You know. <laughs> I, I hate when that happens. <laughs> that could be one of the Saturday Night Live skits, right? <laughs> um, I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, totally. So that's kind of the background. Is is I'm always about how do I do my work better? How do I make it, you know, uh, more functional? Uh, meets the stakeholder needs better. You know, the actual problems better. How do I make it faster and and and, and so better performance? How to maintainable and so on. So I think what I'm hearing you say is like back in when you had to build your own compiler in that example. What you've done is you've gone through the years building your own modeling language or helping build a modeling language because that was a you know that was something that helped you build something else in a better way right and so so moving forward you've uh, evolved this into to the, the uh, harmony a m b s e rolls right off the tongue <laughs> well right so, so, so we started off with uml right and so i got involved as one of the authors of, of that spec uh and uh, then I took that, and then I went off and did kind of an extensions to to model real-time uh, issues, performance and schedulability, and and so on. Uh, where there's a standard called the the schedulability uh, UML profile for schedulability performance and time, SBT, uh, as a way of how do I model that kind of engineering data that I need to integrate into my designs, into my processes. And so yeah, that was kind of my background. And then uh, also I've always been involved in the systems side as well as the embedded software side. And so I, I managed a group um, doing a, a anesthesia systems where we had uh, 80 engineers, uh, uh, about 50 of them were software, we had about 30 mechanical and uh, about five or six electrical engineers building you know, anesthesia systems and building those systems where they all had to kind of come together and coordinate uh, through development platform of you know, next generation systems. So. Right. So, 
So let's focus then on this uh, on your latest work, the the, the agile leaning uh, version of Harmony. So what what specific problems? What are the biggest problems that this uh, it, this process framework uh, is trying to address? If I'm if I'm watching this podcast and I'm hoping to get something out of it, you know, what what what, what problems am I bringing to the table typically? Okay, so I think I think the let's look at symptoms, right? Sort of symptoms of the problems. So if you have you're building or designing an aircraft, you're designing designing an automobile or defining a major subsystem for one of those kinds of systems, mm-hmm. it is typical that the integration time of those components is anywhere from six months to a couple of years. Right. Right. My thought is that integration should take a day. Okay. Ooh. So I'm going to integrate That's a credit ticket day. Stuff comes together and it just works. Okay. Mm. Okay. I'll give you a week. Right. Even even extreme case, Bill Air aircraft. Let's talk about a month. Okay. But it okay. shouldn't take years. Yeah, Why yeah. does it take years? It takes years because there are so many defects in the work products that are released that they're caught up in this huge cycle of. Let's design something. Let's let's think about the requirements and do the architecture and then do the build and then the software, mechanical, hydraulic, pneumatics bits. Put them all together. All say, oh my together. God, that exploded! And then yeah. go back and fix why why the, what the problems were. This big, big, huge time tend to spend in that in that macro cycle. And so my concept here is that if we're going to build stuff that we can just plug together at the end and it will just kind of work when you verify but but it just kind of works it means that the stuff that we produce must be of high quality and mm-hmm. what can we do to ensure that we have quality built in designed in in mm-hmm. the process rather than try to tack it on uh, with right. the testing hammer at the end right right but more more than just the uh, quality of the components themselves i think what you're saying is is similar to software problems that that are trying to be overcome with you know continuous builds and things like that uh, it was always the integration points that that things blew up right so so even if we have high quality components that come together once you put them together they they often don't work well they don't play well in the same sandbox so so how does how do how does that get addressed in, in this framework in this process okay it really starts with the requirements so you you typically divide up requirements into these usable chunks, user stories, or use cases. And my opinion, by the way, is that use cases are a large-scale group of user stories. The user story is a single scenario with some minor variation, right? Okay. And then a use case then has multiple related user stories together. So that's kind of my perspective. And not everybody has quite the same perspective, but that's, that's my point of view. So we, we start there. <laughs> I think there are arguments on both sides of that, but yeah, let's, let's, let's take that one. And that's her. Um, so we start there, and because the most expensive re- or kinds of defects or the requirements were wrong, either they're incomplete, they're inconsistent, or they were just wrong. They didn't actually meet the need. Right. And so all of these practices. So we have practices like uh, uh, involving the stakeholder, working incrementally, um, uh, continuous integration, continuous verification. All those right. practices are all about ensuring that we both have semantic correctness and right. validation correctness. That is, we're meeting the need as well as meeting the requirement, right? Uh, all the time. So the best way, because what I like to say is that the best way not to have defects in your system is to not put defects in your in your system in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. all these practices are about doing that. Right. So, so um, get so. 
how do you how do you improve the communication then between um, these disparate components that are coming together to build a complex system. So, and let's let's maybe focus on the, on the complex system side. That's where three to one gang plays a lot. Aerospace um, places that you have as well. But more than just the, the 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 embedded software, but it's the the hardware, the software, the firmware, and all the related electronics that come together. Uh, is there a is there some guidance that uh, you can give about about how those teams work best together? Okay, so I think there are two things. One is the defensive development of the individual components. Mm -hmm. And there's also the rigor with respect to the building of the interface specifications. And yeah. a, a lot of people um, may kind of fail to jot that down. And this shows up in many places. It shows up the integration between software elements. It shows up the integration between software and electronic bits and electronic and mechanical bits. It shows up the integration between systems together, yeah. right? It shows up in many levels of kind of abstraction. And you need to understand it's not just I've got a service, but what are the parameters? What is the extent? For example, you talk about I'm going to do water flow. I'm going to take heat in. I'm going to take water in. I'm going to produce hot, hot water out. Okay, so what's the range of flows? Okay, right. zero to 100 gallons a minute. Okay, how accurately do I, how precisely do I know the inputs? of that flow, plus or minus uh, a half a gallon per hour, right? Okay, right. so what, how, precise, how, how precisely do I know the out, how accurately can I track the outcome? Okay, within a quarter of a, of a, of a, a liter per, per hour. Okay, what is the, the time delay? All those kinds of things have to be defined in the context of the interface, right? right? And those kinds of defects are often missed in the requirements and in the interface specification stage, and they are discovered when you try to integrate the system. You say, well, that doesn't work. Let's yeah. try again. And you rip stuff out, you throw it away, and re-engineer it. And that's expensive. And it's that's really expensive. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of a lot of this comes down to uh, waste reduction on the output by by help by being more precise with the inputs. And it's interesting because the inputs you're talking about are more around specifications as opposed to true requirements or user stories, which I think, in in my mind, is a little different. You know, you, I, are you saying that that uh, you, you provide the parameters by which the engineers then go off and you tell them this is what we want it to do, but it has to be within this, these parameters. You figure out how to get that done in the best way. Well, so here's a how is really a design constraint, right? But right. what, right? So let's talk about requirements. And I'm going to take you to task on your requirement statement. <laughs> uh, to my mind, uh, there's a thing called functional requirement, which is about what the system has to do. So right. think about our use case. We're going to heat the water. So the what is, well, heat the water. Fine. And then there's a bunch of requirements to talk about how well that's done, right? How accurately, like with what kind of precision, uh, what is the maximum capacity, you know, uh, what kind of time lag is it going to be? All of those are important requirements Absolutely. because I can do that with with a two watt uh, heater or right. a thousand watt heater. Yeah. Right. And there's difference in cost and size and, and waste yeah. heat and and power Wait, requirements. Yeah. All kinds yeah. of stuff, and I can't make good design decisions unless I know what those requirements are. So I have to be able to heat the water inside of three minutes. Right. Okay. Right. That tells me something. That constrains my design, which, and all of these are about constrained designs, right? Your design right. to have right functionality and the right kind of uh, performance properties, right? And a lot of times, those performance properties are completely missed, and they are right. crucial to doing a good job in systems. Okay. So Bruce, in your desk book, you write 
that there are three primary components to effectively um, implementing the agile model-based systems engineering process. Can you speak to those a little bit? Well, sure. There's, there's language, tools, and process, right? So language is how do you cast, record, store, manipulate the um, engineering data, right? And traditionally in system engineering, it's about text. Uh, and text is wonderfully expressive, but it's not very precise, it's ambiguous, and all kinds of problems. Having said that, if I'm going to write a poem, natural language is probably the, the, the natural thing you to use. Sure. You can write poems with state machines. I did a nice one for my wife's birthday. Uh, she it, it executed I'm sure and everything. She was thrilled. <laughs> she was she was totally thrilled. Um, but it's not the natural language you would expect to do that. So that's one is how do I want to cast that that cast that that specifies precision in ways that I can use, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the process which tells you what do I need to do, what work products do I need to create, what what uh, things do I need to do. And in what order do I need to do them? And how do I know I've done a good job, right? So and that's what process, right? Talk and a including bit about possible handoffs. I mean, for example, system engineers are typically different people with different skill sets over software developers, right? Right. It, and over electronics engineers, you, you tell you give a software guy and say, "Here's solder and iron, go build me electronics thing." It's it, you end up with bad electronics typically. <laughs> uh, similarly. Telling a software guy to do the systems work, it's a different skill set, it's a different uh, discipline, right? Right. So you need to say so there, there is some, some handoff needs to be done that's clear and precise and it pr provides feedback mechanisms, and that's, right. that's well defined. Uh, so finally, tooling. Uh, so tooling is really about enacting a process to build the work products that you need, right, effectively. And certainly, uh, I'd say you can do stuff without, without tooling. Back in the day, we only had stone tablets, right? So fine. But but really, if you can do, if you can build, for example, digital twins, um, an example of digital twin is where I build a software simulation replicant of some mm -hmm. system to understand properties. For example, I can do this. I can build requirements models that way. I can build architecture models that way, and I can explore. Well, what happens if I do this in this order with these values instead of that order and the expected order? What happens in that case? I, do I do the right thing? And digital mm -hmm. twins allow me to do that. And that's pretty hard to do without some some pretty heavy duty software. With a support. word document, yeah, exactly, yeah, and right. a language to do it in. So so right. so then the tooling needs to support the language and then the process. I mean, I guess the process can be both the process in which you use the tools or the process in which you you uh, create requirements and do handoffs and things like that. So you talk about process in two contexts there. Well, right. So so. It's all, they're all related, but they're all relatively independent disciplines, but there's overlap. So yeah, right. the process needs to make sense, it needs to produce the stuff that you need, right? It needs to be uh, achievable. Uh, one of the problems with uh, uh, measurable thousand uh, and CMMI is the way that people implement them, implemented them or tried to implement them didn't work very well, which yeah, gave yeah. rise to the whole agile movement as a reaction against, well, that doesn't work, it's, it's way right. too expensive. And so it has to be kind of realizable to achieve the goals. It has to be kind of goal-based. And then I the think language those were, uh, were were repeatable. I think the goal was repeatability, but they didn't help you build better software faster, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right. So it's ultimately, it, it's fewer defects and less time, right? That's that's the goal here. Yeah. So so you go on in in your book to say those are the three things you need. You need language, process, and tooling, but that it's hard to do, and hardly anybody is doing it, or at least doing it well. So can you speak a little bit to how 
people can do it better or how people get started, um, right. what, what, what things people typically do wrong when they're trying to implement this stuff? Okay, so a lot of people, a big problem I see is they use UML as if it were PowerPoint, right? So they use it like a drawing tool without really specifying kind of precise semantic things. And they try mm -hmm. to kind of break the rules because that's not really what they want to show. They want to show, you know, uh, rectangles and they, don't really, they want the rectangles to be kind of semantic free. Mm -hmm. But the point of a language is that words matter and statements matter. They have meaning uh, and they have in the UML system all precise meaning. And so you need to be precise. The drawing is not the same as modeling. You need to understand that. You draw as a part of modeling, but modeling is where you represent the semantic content and relationships in a, in a, in a database. Right. And you can view them in diagrams, and that's a good mm -hmm. way to look at the information. But it's not about the drawing bit. Right? It's like, right. It's like you know, look at uh, some literature, you say, oh yeah, it's all about the letters. So look at all those right. letters there. They use, they use the letter A, and look at, oh, look at that nicely formed E. Nobody cares. It's about what the meaning of the letters together in the right. word sentences means, right? Right. And so it's drawing is not modeling. That's the biggest thing I see, that people mm. don't use modeling effectively. Solutions is, well, basically I think you need training, right? right? And you right. can get the books. You can go through it. But in my experience, I've worked with, I don't know, three or 400 customers mm -hmm. uh, on this over the last few decades, uh, is that, you know, if you're going to teach your teenage daughter how to drive. One solution is to take your keys of your Audi and toss them I'm towards I'm close with that, Good yeah. luck, right? <laughs> when you learn how to not hit stuff, let me know or I'll come out of the house. Right. That's one way, right? And it's a common way. And uh, Or you can say, well, let's get driving lessons. Let's get somebody who's an expert and assure you what to do and give you kind of graded experiences so that you to acquire skills. Both ways work. It's just how many cars you want to go through Sure. until you've achieved that skill. So if you want to succeed on your first project, and frankly, the most common thing I hear on the phone when I do consulting work is, oh my God, we're all going to die. Can you come help? Right? So it's usually, that's not a project you can fail on, and so they need to do things right. Uh, right but if right. you can take time and, and you want to learn, plan on failing or not completely succeeding the first two projects, and then you can do the third one. You probably learned enough to do a decent job. Or bring somebody in who has expertise right. who can like do what I call sheepdogging, help right. keep you on the path to success, and they don't go down that path. Down mm -hmm. that path lies ruin. <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. Don't do that. Do this instead. Well, you know, I have, I've, you know, I've been doing this for a number of years as well, not as a practitioner, but uh, you know, help, you know, helping clients uh, get training in in the door and things like that. And I've seen many of them get this training, but then. The trainer goes away, and they've got a little bit of momentum, and then it slowly dies, and it goes away, and they revert to old habits. So I think that's a, I mean, that's a, that's the people side of this, right? Change is hard, no matter what we're talking about. Um, you know, ask somebody to change their email system, and uh, trust me, you'll get a whole lot of pushback, right? Well, right, uh, but I think there are some ways to address that. For example, you can, uh, what I do often is we'll do some sort of consulting effort, do a workshop on this or that. And then I say, okay, so for the next six months, every month we'll do some review of where you are. Sure. Look at look at your work products. Look at your process uh, mm -hmm. uh, information. Look at your compliance data, and we'll we'll tweak it as necessary. Because a right. plan is always a theory, and theories need to be supported with evidence. 
mm-hmm. that's where metrics come in. You have metrics about things like yeah. you want to improve, like like defect rates or uh, velocity or so on. So you measure those things, and if right. you're not achieving those metric goals, then you say, well, let's 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 tweak let's, this. Uh, right. Do something else, yeah. So, so then when you talk about going in every month or or starting out in this way, what what groups you're typically talking about? I mean, are you, do you? I assume you have to get some sort of management or executive sponsorship um, to yeah. enable you to have some sort of continuity. Um, so, what 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 do you what do you recommend to our listeners? Well, it depends. I've worked both in, in from the engineering group up, right? So, go into a software group and work with them, or a system engineering group and work up. I've also come in at the organizational level mm-hmm. and said, okay, let's do some stuff down. And and uh, we have a whole process it's called the. Uh, um, uh, uh, the uh, it's deployment. Uh, it's, it's the engineering uh, effectiveness workshop. We go on and we analyze the capability of the organization to engineer systems, and we okay. look for strengths and weaknesses. We look at three different kinds of data. We can go into the details if you want. Uh, and then when we come out of that, we say, well, here are our recommendations." And typically, mm-hmm. it's a phased improvement plan uh, right. with three or four phases. There might be a short term, or the next six weeks, we're going to do this. Uh, right. The next six months we're going to do this. The next eighteen months we're going to do this, right? And so and that's really what you need, plan. right? Is yeah. you know a really consistent touch. Maybe you know heavy up front, heavier. I've seen work heavier up front, and then you sort of phase yourself out over time. But but right. by having touch points over eighteen months, twenty four months, really uh, helps helps things stick, right? And you also, I mean, there's certainly lots of places typically a typical organization can improve, but you want to prioritize them into things that are easy to improve, that don't require much uh, to do, as well as things that have high value. And things sure. that have less value can get, can get or take longer can be pushed out, right? So you want to organize and prioritize that effort so you get the maximum benefit. But again, I agree with you that ultimately your goal is to put yourself out of work, right? Just to, is to have right. them be capable enough to proceed forward without you. And right. so, I've, so I've worked with, I'm working with a big aerospace organization right now with 400,000 employees mm. uh, at the corporate level and going down into different organizations within that to bring their skill level up in terms mm-hmm. of model-based system engineering and model-based embedded software development for, for aircraft. Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And I'm also working in uh, uh, auto companies where we we work on like uh, autonomous driving and and work up from within that group within, for example, system engineering group. Let's understand what our requirements are, what our needs are for perception and for predictive movements of of things in the environment and for right. decision making, so that we can make good engineering choices. Yeah, because you know. Um you don't want your automated car to all of a sudden say, is there a programmer on board uh, <laughs> oh <my God>. as, you're, <laughs> as you're driving down the road? So, um, so uh, you know, we're going to wrap up here in just a few moments, but I was wondering if you could talk to a little bit of where the um, agile model-based systems engineering uh, flavor of Harmony fits in with frameworks like the Scaled Agile Framework. As, as organizations, large aerospace organizations um, like you're speaking of, we're uh, working with some of them as well and they're looking at um, taking their pockets of agility which you know may have started out in the software side of the house or in the firmware side of the house and now they're looking to, to combine all these things together in, um, and you know as we talked about earlier, SAFE is a framework. It's right. not a process. 
and what you've created through the, the harmony process is a process. Um, do those play, is there a place for those to play together? I've used safe kind of like, safe is like a wooden puzzle board with different shapes where you put wooden shapes inside, right? So, sure. so it, it, there's a place for, you know, uh, embedded software development. There's a place for system engineering. There's a little notion there called MBSE, right? And it doesn't talk about how to do those things. It just talks about where is placed in the larger scheme of things, right? right. And so what I focused on the harmony process is those those model pieces that fit into those slots to fill those right. roles, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do okay, so you do the MBSE, what does that mean? How do I know I've done a good job? How do I set it up? How do I actually produce the work process? What work box do I need to create? So all that stuff is defined within that process kind of content. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I wrote a book called Agile System Engineering where I explained that kind of a Mm -hmm. uh, a lecture kind of format, I guess. And then right. there's, as you mentioned, the desk book, which is, okay, let's do a really detailed example, mm -hmm. right? right. Uh, and then walk through, building up from, hey, I've got this need, I've defined the requirements, do the use case functional analysis, I build up an architecture, define the interfaces, do my handoff and all that, right? So I walk through that detailed process example because it really, is, and it fits into SAFE because SAFE is all about how do these things fit together into a larger organizational uh, um, framework construct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And the the conversations I've been having with people about the scaled agile framework, there, you know, a couple things that that I think uh, they don't they don't address very well, and 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 for good reason. It is a framework. It doesn't. It's not telling people how to do these things specifically. But there's a there's a people element, right? Um, a lot of the organizations you and I work in are are used to command and control. And how do these right. people then change their mindsets to be servant leaders and and other kinds of facilitators, and that kind of thing. And and um, and that's that's not an easy that's not an easy uh, switch to flip. No, it isn't. And everybody has to agree. You, it's easy to sabotage a technology adoption effort. You can mm -hmm. sabotage it at the top because of lack of support, and you can sabotage it at the bottom because people don't want to do it. Right? Don't want to do you it, right. Get, and then you blame the tool, or you blame the process, or you blame the, the, the right. consultants that came in, or, or something like that, right? Yep. So, so that's a tough one. Um, it's and then, though, and then right? the, other, the other, the second piece is you know, it doesn't tell you how to um, how to create on, on the system side where where we play. You know what what artifacts you should create and when you should create them and and modeling. How how do you do the modeling? And so I, I see a really I really I see a really strong connection between the work you're doing and uh, filling in a lot of those gaps where. In the clients, um, you know, in the in the defense, aerospace and defense industries, in automotive, we're we're uh, we're getting a lot of questions around that. So so let's let's keep talking. Let's keep collaborating. Right. So so I have some some heartburn over over Scrum, for example. Not that Scrum is bad. <laughs> what Scrum talks about no. is good. I don't have right. a problem with that. But my problem is that it doesn't talk about a lot of things that are really important. For example, talk to people about so in Scrum, how do I do traceability? Right. Like, what? Doesn't talk about it at all. Huh? <laughs> talk about it at all. How do I do safety? How do I comply with with uh, six one five zero eight or their D one seventy eight? How do I how do I do that? Right. Yeah. Uh, so so those are those are my concerns. So you can take the Scrum basis and you can add all those pieces in, 
and make it something that you can apply. Or you can take something like the Harmony, which is Scrum-like, but has all those pieces fit in. And so it doesn't matter to me if you use the process or not. I mean, it's up to you. But, but bottom line is you've got to answer those questions. <clears throat> Yeah. How do I do security analysis? How do I do safety reliability analysis? How do I do safety testing? How do I, you know, yeah, integrate uh, uh, the goals, the objectives of the safety standard into my process? Those, right. you know, because if you look at D178, there's a number of really difficult objectives that you have to meet, demonstrate safety before you can ever fly right. that aircraft in commercial space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure we could talk for, for many more hours about this stuff, and, and uh, you're passionate about it. It comes through. I love that. And uh, But we're going to have to wrap it up here, and maybe we'll have a follow-up, and, and you can show us a little bit more about the process, maybe show us how you do models and Rhapsody. And, uh, so so let's, let's keep talking about that, all right? Oh, I am happy to help. All right. Well, Dr. Bruce Douglas with uh, IBM's Internet of Things group. Uh, we're really happy to have had you here today. And uh, you've been watching 321 Gang's technology podcast, Change the Conversation. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks so much.